speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. My initial intent when I see passages as I prepare for these talks, I see passages that I'm asked to reflect, study, and chat about, is to look for the common themes and the connections between the passages. So that's where I'm going this morning, which will be a trip down a number of rabbit holes. I'll invite you to find those connections and interconnections that speak to you. In all honesty, the first thing I noticed in the Joel passage is that baldness is used as a metaphor for famine. <laughs> never, never thought of my head as a symbol of famine. And I and some of you are, living, are a living metaphor of that image. I got over that by remembering something my daughter sent me. You're only given so many hormones, so if you want to waste years on hair, you go ahead. But then I realized that the famine spoken about is not a famine of scarcity, bread, or thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And I found myself wondering what a famine related to hearing the words of the divine might look like. What's the famine in our day and in our context? What are our famine-like shortages? Well, we have some supply chain issues which are limiting our consumption and causing inflation. But I wouldn't exactly call that a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And like in Joel's time, might we be having a famine of compassion midst a feast of self-serving competition, anger and fighting for my rights regardless of the effect on others seems very prevalent in our day as it was in Joel's day. And then Joel talks about a new moon and Sabbath. I love the significance of the new moon and the new moon celebration, although I did enjoy the full moons this last week. The new moon is when the moon, new moon is visible, is not visible to the eye, but we know it's there. It's a reminder that the most important things in life are not necessarily things that are seen but unseen. And yet we know they are there, like the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc. And so the new moon is an invitation to think on these things. It's a time of spiritual renewal. All through the scriptural record, the new moon was a day when the prophets heard from Yahweh, being a day designated for waiting upon Yahweh, for discerning His purposes, and for prophetic revelation. And it has a Sabbath solitude invitation. And Joel proclaims that this reorientation towards the divine is no longer valued by his culture, neither is the Sabbath. Both are seen as a waste of time in a world consumed by consumption and commerce amidst a famine of compassion and connection. Henri Nouwen beautifully expresses this new moon reminder as a movement from competition to compassion. He says, in competition, we look at those little ways in which we're different and we make them everything. In compassion, we look at those huge ways in which we're all in the same boat, we're all the same. It's a unifying invitation. 
And certainly our monetary consumer culture also sees Sabbath as a waste of economic and consumer opportunities. The material things that our corporate culture is determined to make the idols of our longings. When I was in San Francisco, I had a spiritual direction client who owned a boutique grocery store in the Bay Area. He decided to close on Sundays, and he planned a lot of family events for his employees and encouraged them to spend this day with their family and friends. Now, he himself was a church person. However, he said he didn't do this out of some scriptural legal necessity. He did it out of encouraging and supporting the time of retreat and rest and reorientation of values for his employees. The efficiency and loyalty of his staff was off the charts. He also paid them higher than union wages with full benefits. He never advertised. He said the best advertisement was the lives and work words of his employees. And ironically, he also occasionally talked to me about the necessity of taking a Sabbath from church. I didn't say that. Just to waste time alone with God, for him usually in nature or sometimes in a good book. He valued the institutional expression of his faith, but even more valued his personal relationship with all that was sacred. And he was surprised because, ironically, his business became more successful by being closed one day a week for family and relational Sabbath. His customers also adjusted their lives to his personal and corporate honoring of the Sabbath. They were impressed and reminded, is this not corporate and, per and a personal form of hospitality, a hospitality that invited a restful place to renew and reaffirm more ultimate values. And that's the theme I want to hold up together in all of our passages today. Our psalm touches on this hospitality strain as well and talks about how we can use our power or our feigned hospitality to manipulate rather than contemplate. <laughs> like the power lunch. And most of us can sense this a mile away. And yet we often play this game anyways. Or how often do you get a call from someone who chit-chats with you for a while, but the whole while you're waiting to see what they actually called you about, what they want? And we are surprised when we realize that they just called to chat or connect and thought of us without any agenda. The word the psalmist uses, is for, this uses for this manipulation is devour. You love all the words that devour, O oh, deceitful tongue. And I don't know about you, but when I feel manipulated, it feels like I'm being devoured, used for someone else's appetites. The manipulator sees me as an object for some utilitarian or economic purpose. However, the manipulator, I might suggest, also sees themselves as an object, as all connection with others is ultimately seen as utilitarian, what you can get from them. And you begin to manage your life rather than live it in freedom. We all struggle with this. And this is the balance brought back to us by the new moon image and the Sabbath. <clears throat> However, if this manipulation goes to seed, 
your life will become very alone. You'll lose your own sense of being in the image of God, let alone a sense of seeing others also in the image of God. And our epistle in Colossians gives us a picture of what we might see if we take the metaphor of the new moon and the Sabbath seriously. We will see a larger reality connected to the unseen world, the world of spirit and mystery, the Christ as the image of the invisible God. The first carnation we begin to see as the creation, embodied as the tree of life. All things were created in him, both seen and unseen, through him and for him. And Jesus is seen as providing a hospitality of reconciliation. The presence of God, one might say, the hospitality of God is about reconciliation. In verse 20 of the Colossians passage, it says, And through him God was pleased to reconcile himself to us Anglicans to all things. That's pretty universal, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. In business and finance, reconciliation is a balancing of the accounts, a reconciliation of our productivity and of our doing. In Sabbath or a new moon metaphor, it's a reconciliation of our values, our relationships, our connection with all that is sacred. It's a reconciliation of our being in the image of God. Matthew 5 has a practical explanation of this, because in theory it sounds so easy. Matthew 5 says, So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Why? Because all things are already reconciled from God's point of view. You're only acknowledging what is already ultimate reality. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And now we come to the Mary and Martha story, a story that probably loses some of its significance in our familiarity with its illustration of true hospitality. Henri Nouwen tells the story of billeting with people during the early parts of his ministry as he traveled around leading seminar, seminars and training sessions. And he tells us staying with one couple who couldn't do enough for him, trying to make him feel at home. But he quickly realized that they were competing with each other in their feigned hospitality. And the unspoken competition between them created an awkward tension. He also tells of staying with others who just let him feel at home. They were available but not always fawning on him. And he describes, and I love this phrase, true hospitality as freedom of the guest. Isn't that lovely? freedom of the guest. That's just about right. A hospitality that is available but not forced or affected or competitive. And I'm guessing that when Mary and Martha were reconciled to each other, they were able to offer that kind of hospitality. They were close friends of Jesus, and it seems he loved to visit and stay with them often. 
and likely he felt comfortable and at home with them most of the time, but not in our story today. However, we have to be careful not to be too critical of Martha for all the work that she was doing. She was doing what was necessary, but you get the sense that everyone knew she was stomping around the kitchen, filled with anger and embarrassment about how her sister was acting. And this story, ironically, must be seen in, the conjunction, in conjunction with the story just before it about the Good Samaritan. There we see Jesus validate what is done, regardless of who the doer is. The priest, the rabbi in that story have all the right beliefs, <coughs> but are too proud to help this injured person lying on the side of the street. Here, for Martha, not only was her sister not helping with all the food and preparations, but she was behaving as a woman. She was not behaving as a woman was expected to, sitting at the feet of Jesus with the boys. How brash! And this would have been seen as totally inappropriate by her culture, and certainly was in our story by Martha. And finally, rather than seeking reconciliation with Mary. She triangles the situation by assuming Jesus will support her agenda, finding a religious means to support my agenda, her cultural ideas. Men are disciples, women are servants, and I'm doing all the work. Doesn't Mary know her place? And then she even tries to get her guests to form a triangle, even telling Jesus that he doesn't seem to care. Now, wouldn't real freedom of the guest reflect an excitement on Martha's part that she is able to facilitate this time to soak in the love of the people that are in her home and in the love that she sees growing between her sister and the Christ. Ironically, it's as if Jesus becomes the host, although I think that often happens, and he offers freedom of the guest to whoever is in the room with no distinction for male, female, or any other distinction that we make between people. But metaphorically, I invite you to look at Mary and Martha as different aspects of yourself. Martha representing the doing side of your life, Mary representing the being side. It's not that doing is inferior to being or secondary, it's the motivation that counts behind the doing. If the doing comes from being, it will be motivated by the part of you created in the divine image. If the doing becomes from being, it will be motivated by the part of you that is created in the divine image and will always seek reconciliation or at least long for it. If your sense of being only comes from doing what you accomplish, you're on an ultimate ego trip, always comparing yourself to others who do less or more. And in some cases and at times you will feel like you're just not enough. And it tends to create judgmental people like Martha in our story and like the part of me that can become preoccupied with all the tasks in my life, loving or caring for others, but seldom just letting myself be loved. Now many of us are older and experience a time when the possibility of doing is limited by our age and physical energy, even though we remember a time when our bodies cooperated and allowed more efficient doing. 
Now for me, you've heard me say, if it doesn't hurt, it's not working. And the invitation here is to notice those new moon invitations, to take a real Sabbath, where you let yourself be loved by the part of you created in the divine image. Just sit and be with God at the feet of Jesus. Then love and let yourself be loved, a letting go of doing as the source of your identity. Years ago, uh, when I attended a large church in the Abbotsford area, we had a pastor named Vern who was very successful and had planted churches all over, and this particular church had grown from numerically 450 to about 1,400 people in a matter of three or four years. He was just that kind of a dynamic person. He got Parkinson's, and after a while, his disability disqualified him in his own mind and from other people's minds for doing ministry. And eventually he was confined to a care home because his spouse could not care for him anymore. I visited him about a year before he died, and I asked him what this was like, and he said, Well, he says, I have gone through times of frustration, hurt, anger, why me, Lord, those times that we all know. But he said, I've come to the conclusion that this is the most significant ministry part of my life. I was astonished. He says, I get to spend my time praying for people who are doing the doing that I no longer can do, and that that is holy ground. And whether they know or not, I am holding them in my prayers. My father was an example of that, too. I think I've told this story before, but I think it fits well here. My father never had trouble sleeping. <laughs> In fact, sometimes he had trouble staying awake. He worked extremely hard, and he would flop into bed, and he'd just snore and sleep all night, much to my mother's chagrin. After my mother died, he noticed after about four or five months, after he got past the, that initial painful morning, that about two o'clock every morning he'd wake up and just be wide awake. And he was frustrated about this because he'd never had problems sleeping. And he noticed that he'd lie awake for an hour, and at 3 o'clock he'd fall asleep again. So he called me one day with this great discovery. He said, I finally gave up on trying to figure out why and thought maybe the Divine Spirit is asking me to spend that hour every night in prayer for others. And so for the rest of his life, he had this book and he had a list. And even when he came to visit us, no alarm clock, nothing. He would just automatically wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and he'd sit in prayer till 3 o'clock and fall back asleep, often sleeping an extra hour <laughs> in the morning. True hospitality emerges from one's sense of being, especially a sense of being that is reconciled to self in God and others in God. And to the extent that it doesn't represent an ego need to be seen a certain way, which results in a competitive nature, I'm a better hostess than you are, this is mostly unconscious. And we live for that, what a wonderful hostess you are, which is a lovely thing to hear. So for today, may Mary and Martha in all of us find reconciliation 
as we seek to be facilitators and participants in a hospitality that provides freedom for the guest, any guest, anywhere and everywhere. In this way, we serve from a place of sitting at Jesus' feet. Amen. Thank you.